Let's begin with a correction. I've severely underrated the impact that LSU running back Clyde Edwards-Elair has on the Tigers' offense. A handful of days ago, I said Edwards-Elair was maybe the fourth or fifth most important player on the LSU offense, not including their Joe Moore award-winning offensive line. After watching more tape, specifically the Auburn and Alabama games, it's clear that I was wrong about my initial assessment. Clyde Edwards-Elair's presence probably was the reason LSU was able to beat Auburn. You could make the same argument for the Alabama game as well. He had 187 total yards and a touchdown against Auburn. Two weeks later, Edwards Elair racked up 180 total yards and four touchdowns against the Crimson Tide. According to Pro Football Focus, he broke seven tackles in that win. It seemed like 70. At one point against Alabama, LSU had seen its lead go from 20 down to six. The Tigers were facing a third and 10 in the fourth quarter after the Tide had scored 14 unanswered. The crowd at Bryant-Denny Stadium was going nuts. Bama perfectly timed an A-gap blitz with his Mike backer. Joe Burrow had no time to throw, so he just dumped it off to his hot man, who was Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. He caught the ball about a yard past the line of scrimmage and maneuvered his way past an Alabama defender up the sidelines and got the first down. It was an incredible play, a play that was topped just a few snaps later when Edwards-Hilaire took a Burrow handoff Immediately, he put his foot in the ground, spun away from an oncoming tackler, then waltzed into the end zone. Pro Football Focus said it was one of the best running back performances against Alabama they've seen in a long time. Clyde Edwards-Hilaire touched the football 33 times against Auburn and 29 times against the Crimson Tide. For comparison's sake, Kennedy Brooks has never touched the ball more than 25 times in a game this season. Brooks is a pretty important part of Oklahoma's offense, is he not? How would you feel if he missed the Peach Bowl instead of Ramondre Stevenson? I bet you wouldn't feel great. Now, put yourself in the shoes of an LSU fan. And as of this recording, late Thursday night, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire still has not returned to practice after injuring his hamstring last week. How would you feel if that guy missed the Peach Bowl? Keep in mind... Edward Zelaer has touched the football 92 more times than Kennedy Brooks this year. I was wrong. Grant was right last week. Clyde Edward Zelaer is the second most important player on the LSU offense, and all signs are pointing to him not playing against the Sooners on Saturday. It would be a big-time break for Oklahoma and definitely a hit to the Tiger offense. LSU relies on Edward Zelaer to do so much, pass protection included. And I'm incredibly intrigued to see how backups Ty Davis-Price and John Emery pick up the slack, if indeed the Tigers' second-best offensive player is relegated to the sidelines. We're one day away from the Peach Bowl. This is the massive OU-LSU preview you've been waiting for, right here on West of Everest. Now Mott standing tall, fires intercepted, bad decision on his part. Picked off now by Brodney Poole, and Poole looking for somebody to lateral to, finally takes it down inside the 30-yard line. That's his seventh interception of the season. He leads the OU defense, and finally a spark for Oklahoma, and maybe we can get something going. 
Brodney Poole welcomes us into this edition of West of Everest. He intercepted Matt Mock and returned it 50 yards to the LSU 30 back in the 2004 Sugar Bowl. OU would capitalize, Kiwan Jones scoring his second touchdown of the game on the ensuing drive that cut the Tigers' lead to 21-14. Unfortunately, you all know that was the eventual final score. LSU won the national championship, and Oklahoma had the misfortune of being a team who lost a title game to Matt Mock. That was the last time the Sooners and the Tigers played until this Saturday in the Peach Bowl. It goes without saying that Oklahoma's defense is facing a little bit better of a test at quarterback this time around against LSU. What's up, everybody? I am Lee Benson, and once again, this is West of Everest. This very well may be our final game preview episode of the 2019 football season, so if that's the case, let's make this one count. I'm recording this after midnight on Thursday, so technically early Friday morning, and because of that, Grant, of course, not here with me live on the podcast, but like we've done a lot recently, Grant left plenty of audio for me to play during the show. Here's what you're going to get with this show today. Oklahoma's offense versus LSU's defense. What's the path for the Sooners to move the football consistently against the Tigers? And on the flip side, why would LSU slow down OU? Joe Burrow and that LSU offense, how does Oklahoma find a way to hold them under 40 points? Only three teams have done that this year. We'll tell you what a good OU defensive effort looks like and also what a good LSU effort looks like. As always, we'll tell you what we want to see happen and what will happen Saturday in the Peach Bowl. Most importantly, we're going to lay out the path to an Oklahoma victory. And it's all based on what we know about the Sooners and hours and hours of LSU film study put in by both Grant and I over the past three weeks. We watch the tape so you don't have to. As we get to the end here of 2019, I'd like to say thank you to all of you out there who supports the show. Thank you for listening. Thank you for rating and reviewing the show on iTunes. By the way, keep those coming, if you will. And thank you for interacting with us on Twitter and on Facebook throughout the college football season. I am at Lee Benson News 9. Grant is at Grant Benson 25 on Twitter. And you can search West of Everest on Facebook. You'll find us there. If you listened to the last episode, I briefly touched on the news that Delarian Turner Yell will miss the Peach Bowl with a broken collarbone. I'll talk more a little bit later about DTY, but since Grant was not able to say anything about this injury on the last episode, I want to play his thoughts on DTY right now. So earlier this week, Lincoln Riley confirmed that DeLaren Turner-Yell uh, will miss the Peach Bowl and also the rest of the, the season if they were to advance. Uh, he's out with a broken collarbone. He's also going to miss spring practice in all likelihood. Uh, don't really know what to say about this one other than this This one hurts quite a bit. In fact, this w- once I let it percolate a little bit, uh, this one is probably a bigger loss in actuality than Ronnie Perkins is for the defense. Um, mostly just because OU can't really, cannot really take on that hit in depth in the same way that they can on the defensive line. They've, they've rotated much more in the D-line this year. They have guys that they're probably a lot more comfortable throwing in there. Um, Alex Grinch has been very outspoken pretty much all season long that he is not happy with the depth at safety. And, of course, they're going to be tested in that regard in the biggest game of the season. So this is this is big. DTY, he, he's the best tackler in the secondary. Uh, he's you know also starting to just become a really good player rather than just a serviceable one. Uh, starting to, you know... He, Maybe his best game of the season came in the Big 12 championship game against Baylor. So 
Um, just, just not great. He's a downhill safety, and he's been really good at getting guys uh, down behind the line of scrimmage this year. So uh, this is just just not not a great development for OU at all. Uh, Justin Broyles is the presumed starter opposite uh, opposite Fields now. Uh, we'll see how that goes. I don't know. Broyles and the time that he's played this season has has been fine. He's been okay. He hasn't been bad or anything like that. Uh, you know he's going to be fired up. You know he's going to be prepared. Uh, but with with Justin Broyles comes uh, some physical limitations. So we'll see how how well he's able to hold up. Uh, we'll see kind of what his role is. But another reason why this hurts, uh, I mentioned the depth piece a little bit, but in terms of game planning and scheme, this is also going to really limit OU's ability to play the dime package in this game, um, which. I noticed, um, and I'll talk about it a little bit more once once we're once we're breaking down the game actually. Uh, but Auburn had a lot of success playing dime against LSU, and I'll go into it a little bit more, uh, you know, a little deeper later on. Uh, but Auburn defended LSU very very well. Auburn's defense played exceptionally well against LSU, and a lot of it had to do with the fact that they were able to flood the field with defensive backs. And and I with with DTY getting hurt, I think that's going to limit OU's ability to be able to do that. Maybe they might have to scrap that completely, because who would be the sixth defensive back in that you know uh, in that scenario? Because if you just count them off now in a dime package, you would think who are the top five defensive backs right now? They are Parnell Motley, Trey Brown, Jaden Davis, uh, Justin Broyles, and, and also now Patrick Fields. And so who would the sixth guy be? Would it be Chance Sylvie? I don't, we haven't seen a whole lot of him lately, and what we have seen of him this year just didn't look like the same player. He didn't look healthy. Uh, would it be Jeremiah Cradell, the true freshman? Um, been kind of talk maybe he would be the guy there, but I mean, still, a true freshman that we haven't seen a lot of. Um, we think Robert Barnes is probably taking a red shirt, so I don't know if he's an option. So just this is tough. It, it limits OU's ability to, uh, to match LSU with defensive backs on the field, and uh, Looks like OU's probably going to have to get it done with just their base dime package. I think Grant's 100% correct on all of that. As far as Oklahoma running a dime package against LSU, if that's part of the Sooners' plan, just looking at the depth chart, that guy, the 60 back, could be Sylvie, uh, Woody Washington, or Jeremiah Cradell. Again, just looking at the depth chart. Uh, watching back Auburn and Georgia against LSU, both teams had success, Auburn more so than uh, than Georgia, uh, running dime packages against the Tigers. But I just don't know if Oklahoma has the personnel to do that now that DTY is out. The Sooners have not played much dime anyways this year, so it's not like it's a big part of Oklahoma's defense anyways. Alex Grinch reiterated earlier this week that they take pride in not being the defense of the week is what he calls it. So Oklahoma does its thing and they want to do it well and execute well. Nobody's really been able to slow LSU with a base nickel package this season. So DTY's absence, like Grant said, is, I do think he's right. It's a bigger blow than losing Ronnie Perkins up front. More news on the injury front. I talked about Clyde Edwards-Hilaire in the opening take. So now it's time to get Grant's thoughts on that whole situation. Another development this week uh, during bull week is is the status of LSU running back Clyde Edwards-Elair. Uh, LSU is, is being pretty coy on this. They have confirmed, Ed Orgeron and others uh, close to the program, have confirmed there is some sort of injury going on with Clyde Edwards-Elair. However, they're not going into the severity of it. They have confirmed it's his hamstring. However... You know, they're, they're being very, very wishy-washy on whether or not he's going to play. I know offensive coordinator, co-offensive coordinator Steve, uh, Steve Insminger has come out and said, oh, it's my personal opinion that he's going to play. 
whereas Ed Orgeron, the head coach, has come out and said he's going to play if he's cleared, and up to this point he hasn't been cleared. Now, Thursday morning was uh, was media day for the Peach Bowl, and Ed Orgeron spoke to the media, and as of Thursday morning, Clyde edwards Elair had not even been cleared for practice up to this point. And now, when I'm recording this, we're less than 48 hours from kickoff now. If Clyde edwards Elair has not been cleared to practice as of Thursday morning going into a Saturday afternoon game, I would be shocked if he plays. And so I alluded to this on the last podcast. And of course, you can take this with a grain of salt all that you want um, on LSU message boards. People who are who are moderators on those boards and people who have been around for a long time who have high post counts, they are all but confirming that Edwards Elair is definitely out for the Peach Bowl. Uh, so, in this, it, this is pretty obvious gamesmanship in my mind. Um, I think Ed Orgeron is trying to play games, or he's 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 trying to make Oklahoma not sure whether or not he's going to play. Which this is smart. I I would do this as well too if I was a head coach. It's just all about whether or not you have a media who is going to uh, sit on information like this and not report it. And it kind of does seem like that LSU's media is probably helping them out here a little bit, not reporting this. Uh, we saw the flip side of this. Uh, OU's media reported on on the suspensions and whatnot before Lincoln Riley even confirmed it and the same was for the Delaire and Turner yell injury uh, so I, I would assume there's probably similar people close to LSU's program and they're probably choosing not to make this this public in an attempt to, to help the team out which is which is pretty normal for for college football programs in that region of the country um, so so yeah I, if I'm an OU fan here guys I'm not if if Clyde Edwards Elair actually plays and is effective after all of this and what they're saying and all the signs we're getting, then just whatever, just tip your cap. That's fine. Uh, but you're you're hearing it here from me. I, I just I I don't think he's going to play. I think he's probably not even going to dress out. On the theory that some LSU media members may be sitting on this story, there's no public evidence that's true. Just want to be fair. However, Grant does make a good point about all of Oklahoma's negative news. It was reported on by the Sooners beat media before Oklahoma essentially had to go public with that knowledge. And it's unscientific, but there are such things as credible message board posters. We saw a lot of smoke on the Oklahoma boards about the suspension stuff. There was spoke there was smoke on the LSU boards about the Edwards Hilaire injury before LSU went public with that stuff as well. If he's not dressed at all Saturday, that means one of two things. Either LSU just did a fantastic job of keeping his injury status in-house for the last week and a half, or there were some reporters who knew he wouldn't play but chose not to report the story. Either way, it doesn't really matter. All right, let's get into the meat and potatoes of this episode. We were talking about LSU's talented running back, so let's begin with the matchup of LSU's offense against OU's defense. What's a realistic positive defensive showing by the Sooners going to look like Saturday getting to Joe Burrow with three and four rushers it's common sense I mean duh right that's the goal of any defensive coordinator after all but it's even more important against an elite passing offense like LSU if you have to commit five or even six players to rush in the passer you're just opening yourself up to a lot of explosive plays it's a total risk reward scenario Auburn's defense had the best showing all season against LSU, I thought, held the Tigers to just 23 points, and LSU ran 88 plays in that game. Auburn, to its credit, played a bunch of dime, something, again, I'm not sure OU will be able to pull off, 
The dime package allowed Auburn to play a lot of man across the board, and there was never a massive mismatch anywhere. You know, for instance, a linebacker on Edwards Hilaire out of the backfield. Auburn would rush four and have the middle linebacker rush from the middle as well. It was kind of interesting, but that guy would also act as a spy. It was a pretty aggressive call, but for the most part, I thought it worked except for a couple of times when Burrow was able to scramble and the linebacker got caught up at the line of scrimmage and wasn't able to get the Burrow. Auburn's defense prevented LSU from a lot of big plays in that game, but LSU still did get those explosive plays that an offense like that is going to get. But when LSU did get those plays, though, it's because they earned them. Jamar Chase getting a a slight step on an outside corner man-to-man and Burrow just putting the ball in there perfectly over his shoulder or – Auburn getting a jam on the line, but the receiver Jefferson just fighting through it and getting inside leverage and and making a play after a good throw by Burrow as well. Auburn's defense, it it even prevented LSU from scoring when LSU had the football first and goal from the three-yard line. There was a situation where Auburn's defense stopped LSU on four straight plays inside the three-yard line and a few of them from the one. It's incredible. It's just it's a shame that Auburn's offense was just so inept in that game because I think Auburn wins that game if if it can score a little bit against an LSU defense that it's it's good, but it can be had. So anyways, back to the main point. You get pressure with three or four because Auburn did rush three at times and then sent the linebackers the fourth rusher. Next up, you've got to account for Joe Burrow. You have to. If you blitz or you play man and you don't have anybody accounting for Joe, he's going to run and he's going to pick up yards. Even if you got a perfectly timed blitz up the middle, this happened against Georgia in the SEC title game in the first half. Even if you time it up perfectly and the middle opens up and it's a free run at Burrow, he's athletic enough to make a linebacker miss and then scramble and turn it into a 15-yard gain. The dude's just a magician out there. And I'm going to say this probably multiple times in this podcast, but everything about this guy scares me. On the outside, Parnell Motley, Jaden Davis, Trey Brown, whoever it is out there, needs to do their part to make it difficult on Jamar Chase and Justin Jefferson. It's a monumental task. We all know that. But you've got to get those guys uncomfortable. Is it realistic that both of those wide receivers are held to just kind of so-so games? Probably not. But if Oklahoma can stymie one of the two, I do think, that is possible. One out of two ain't bad. Be prepared for the hurry-up, up-tempo offense. That means when LSU hits a decent play and they're coming to the line of scrimmage, don't panic. Get set. Trust your film prep. Surely, these players, these coaches, they've seen enough tape to have an idea of what LSU wants to do depending on the formation. They use basically two formations the entire time, after all. They like three-by-one sets, tight bunch three-by-one sets, and then two-by-two sets and tight two-by-two sets. Later in the year, they've also been going empty a bit more than I saw them uh, you know, earlier in the season. But just don't be alarmed by the fast play, the fast pace. Just embrace it, and maybe you can force LSU to make a mistake whenever LSU is normally playing pretty comfortably in that up-tempo type offense. Lastly, It's realistic for Alex Grinch to put in some clever coverage disguises against this team because LSU rarely uses motion or rarely shifts pre-snap. I counted all the times LSU motioned or shifted against Auburn. Remember, that was 88 snaps, 88 plays in that game. 
And the number was just 10, just 10 times LSU used motion or shifted a player pre-snap in that game against Auburn. That means on 78 snaps, LSU was telling you where its guys were lined up. That doesn't happen a whole lot in the Big 12, and LSU's offense is obviously dominant. It's the best offense in college football this year, but in a weird way, I think their lack of movement and shifting and not a whole lot of eye candy might make Oklahoma's defense a little bit more comfortable than you would normally think that Oklahoma would be against an offense of this caliber. All right, now to Grant. This clip he titled for me is called LSU's Offense is Awesome. All right, so I just want to do a quick kind of overview of LSU's offense. And, uh, you know, before I go into maybe some blind spots that they have or how OU can, uh, can attack them on defense. Um, but really, I just want to come out and say LSU's offense, uh, th- this is absolutely one of the best offensive teams um, I've seen in the last couple decades in college football. It, it simply is just a really excellent passing attack. Uh, it's it doesn't really have any a lot of equals at all in in the history of college football. It's it's that formidable. It's it's very good. And the more I watched of it, the more worried I actually be I actually became because a lot of it is really based on just execution. There's not a whole lot of stuff that they do to trick you. Uh, of course, there's some there's there's some pro style routes in there that are really well designed and well done. But a lot of this stuff is just timing and Joe Burrow really knowing what this offense wants to do and him knowing where the ball is supposed to go pretty much every single time. Um, Joe Burrow is just is a very good player. Uh, and really, he's a wizard. He's just really freaking outstanding in the pocket. His ability to get out of crazy pressure and pick his spots to run is absolutely equal to Baker Mayfield at Oklahoma. It's really, really difficult to deal with. Um, I just, it, it, it's crazy uh, how how much better Joe Joe Burrow and how he operates and how he gets away from pressure, how he's been able to extend drives on third down when it looked like there was no way he could get out of the backfield. It, it's crazy. It, it's going to be very imperative for Oklahoma to get him on the ground in this game. I think Alabama was probably the best to do, Alabama and Auburn were the were the two best teams to do it. But even Alabama, it, it, you know, in big spots late in that game. You know they 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 lost contain on him and he was able to run and whatnot. He's just he's just a really savvy, really good player and a much much better athlete than he looks like just standing straight up. Um, moving on, you know the receivers they're simply they're great. They're they're really great. Uh, one of the best one of the best quartets I think of receivers that we've seen in a really long time in college football. Uh, Jamar Chase, Justin Jefferson, Terrace Marshall, and uh, and Thaddeus Moss. Those four guys who are going to be on the field a vast majority of the time for them, they just really present matchup problems all over the place. Um, Jamar Chase is is really good with the ball in the air. He's a he's a crisp, precise route runner. He beats he beats press coverage pr- fairly easily. He's physical. Uh, Jefferson is a guy who goes over the middle of the field. He's big. He's just solid. Um, he's uh, he's got like twelve hundred yards this season. He moves the chains, and that's the same kind of bit with with Terrace Marshall as well. He's just a really good complimentary piece of those guys. Who he's a large guy. He's got good ball skills. He's athletic. And then Thaddeus Moss is a guy who who actually kind of terrifies me a little bit. Kind of playing. He, he's he's sort of a of a hybrid tight end slash H back. And uh, they really do like to throw him the ball in the flat and just see if he can get five or six yards chunk plays. Um, just by running guys over. And with OU and the small secondary that they have, I could easily see Thaddeus Moss kind of running through some 
a bit of OU secondary, so that does kind of scare me a bit. Um, I got to tell you guys, this uh, this Clyde Edwards Elair injury for them is really really big. If he can't play, that's that that's going to be a really huge loss for them. Um, just go and look at their biggest games this season, and, and if if you can't understand how big of a role that 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 Edwards Elair plays in this offense, I just can't help you. Um, he's outstanding. He's outstanding protecting the passer as an extra blocker in there, pass blocking. Um, he is great catching the ball out of the backfield. He is Joe Burrow's safety net. Whenever he is under pressure and there's nobody there's nobody in his immediate vision who's open downfield, he always looks to check down to Edward Zelaire. And he's got sure hands and he all he pretty much always makes the first guy miss at first. Uh, he's just he's a he's a special player. He's good. Like like I said, I compared him to David Montgomery a couple a uh, couple weeks ago, and I I do like that comparison. But he's shiftier and he's faster than Montgomery. He's he, he's a really special good player, um, and not to mention they move him around a lot. He'll line up as a he'll line up as a receiver. I've seen him line up as H back as well, um, and they'll throw him the ball out at receiver as well. He had a touchdown uh, running a corner route against Alabama at the end of the first half of that game. Um, and and really and I know the guys behind him they're young and I'm sure they are they're talented and they're probably going to have really good careers at LSU, um, but but the main guy that I saw who was backing up Edward Zelaire was uh, was Tyrion Davis something he's got a hyphenated last name as well, and uh, he he he's a guy who who just I didn't see enough of him for him to be like oh wow this is a guy they have to account for as well, um, so if if if, if you know, if the rumors are true about Edward Zelaire and he hurt his hamstring, I mean, this is a that's a really big loss for LSU's offense. Uh, uh, rewatching their biggest games of the season, I came away just really impressed with Edward with Edward Zelaire. Um, I, I think he should be a borderline All American. He had a great season. Couple of thoughts to piggyback off of Grant. Late in the year, Burrow used Edward Zelaire out of the backfield with the old Texas route quite a bit. Uh, against Bama and against Georgia, definitely that was used. Sometimes against Alabama, it was the running back. Edwards Zelaire matched up on a linebacker. Then uh, even against Georgia, when Georgia went to its dime package, Edwards Zelaire was against the safety, and it, it just didn't, didn't matter. It was a great play for him and for LSU. But if Edwards Zelaire doesn't play, will the backups be as effective with that route? I don't know. Uh, by the way, the Texas route, if you don't know, it's when the running back is in the backfield, runs a route that – uh, the best way I can describe it, it's not very scientific. It kind of looks like a sideways V out of the backfield. He leaves the backfield. He runs out, and then he cuts back inside across the middle of the field. He gets that linebacker or defensive back to kind of commit to the outside, and you run it back inside to get the inside leverage, and then usually the field is wide open if it's man coverage. So what are some creative ways, perhaps maybe some non-traditional ways, other teams have made LSU sweat a bit on offense? Well, one thing comes to mind, corner blitzes. LSU loves running tight bunch formations. Mississippi State had success blitzing off that single receiver side in the three-by-one tight bunch formations. Since that formation is tight, you got the corner already pretty close to the quarterback near the line of scrimmage, so the run to the quarterback isn't as far. So if Burrow doesn't see the blitz right away, like in that Mississippi State game he didn't, that could be an easy sack like it was for the Bulldogs in that one. Also, against Alabama, free safety Xavier McKinney blitzed from the tight bunch trip side of that formation, not once, but twice. There's a lot of bodies all bunched up, up, bunched up in there, and McKinney was able to kind of blend in there. Kind of looks like all of those defensive backs are going to play man coverage, 
And then he blitzed out of the whole mess of people. He hit Burrow's arm as Burrow was loading the throw, and it caused an interception. Bama took the ball back over. And later in the game, it worked again. Uh, what a turnover, but McKinney was able to get a sack. Uh, and the first time he blitzed, it was from Burrow's blind side. The second time later in the game, it was from Burrow's front side. And it still didn't matter. I mean, clearly you you can't do this every single play or every single time LSU is in this tight bunch formation. But just keep that in the back of your mind. It's an option for a possible explosive big defensive play that Alex Grinch could throw out there or, or you know, give a defensive back that responsibility depending on the situation. Kind of along those lines of attacking LSU's offense, Grant has some thoughts on what could be perceived as weaknesses for the Tigers. So if I am OU's defense and I'm going up against this behemoth, this LSU offense, is there anything there? Is there any sliver of hope that they've put on tape this year that they can that this LSU offense can be exploited? And you know what? There actually is. And uh, it, it, does, it does have to do with their Joe Moore award-winning offensive line, which uh, is just was just not correct. Not correct at all. Uh, Joe Burrow makes his offensive line look way better than they are. Uh, it's it's not bad or anything. It's not like a, it's not the worst offensive line OU's played. It's probably one of the better ones they've played this year. Um, but it, like I said, winning that award was not correct. Joe Burrow is consistently under pressure in virtually every prominent game they've played this season. The interior of this offensive line, mainly the interior, is very likely going to struggle with Neville Gallimore and Jalen Redmond. Um, I only say that just because it's apparent on film whenever they play athletic guys up front. It's most apparent in the Auburn and Alabama games. Um, Auburn's defense was outstanding against LSU. I, by far by far the best that, they, that this offense has been defended this season. And a lot of that was based on, you know, Auburn's NFL defensive linemen really bullied LSU up front, especially their interior offensive lineman. Derek Brown had an absolute field day in that game, which makes me believe that Neville Gallimore may be able to do something pretty similar. Um, and so what, what Auburn did in that game that was so successful is they, they primarily played dime defense, and they really just had three down linemen rushing the entire time, and they were able to get consistent pressure on Joe Burrow without blitzing and also with six defensive backs on the field. Now, we've already talked about this. I don't think OU is going to be able to replicate that because I don't think they're going to be able to consistently put a dime package on the field. What I do think they may be able to replicate a little bit is, is the pressure that Auburn and both, that both Auburn and Alabama have been able to get on them just because they, they, they really, the, the interior of that offensive line does struggle with athleticism and they sometimes struggle with stunts as well that I saw. Um, and so what I, would, what I would really like to see is if, if there's any way OU is going to win this game, it, it's gonna, the defensive line is going to have to get some organic pressure on these guys um, because otherwise, man, you know, when Burrow has time to sit back there and survey, it, I mean, it, it's game over. He, he's just, he, he's going to find a guy if he's got time. Now, this doesn't necessarily mean even if OU does have success beating LSU's offensive line, that's, this is not a cinch. It's not like, oh, well, just start, you know, throwing the victory parade. Um, a lot of teams have been able to get a lot of pressure on LSU this season. But like I said earlier, Joe Burrow is a freaking wizard in the pocket. And even if OU is able to get consistent pressure, it may not matter because Burrow may be able to squirt out of it anyway. 
So I, I would guess maybe probably a big part of OU's game plan going into this game is probably to contain Burrow, I would guess. I wouldn't be surprised at all if uh, they they kick... Uh, uh, they kicked Laron Stokes outside or something like that and maybe had him and Nick Benito and David Igwebu maybe at all times sort of only think kind of contain keep Joe Burrow in the pocket very similar to what Georgia did against uh, against Baker in the Rose Bowl a couple years ago and then just see if Jalen Redman and Neville Gallimore can create havoc up front and then maybe have Kenneth Murray spy uh, Joe Burrow every now and then because I do think that's going to be necessary especially in third medium because if Joe Burrow does see an opening he's going to take off right away um, so yeah I, I, I really do think that if there is a weakness of LSU's offense that absolutely is it it's that interior offensive line especially their guards I would say they have a, they have a pretty uh, veteran center there, Cushenberry. I think he was the only one of their offensive linemen who made any of the the all-SEC teams I think he was all-SEC second team um, but, but I, I, I don't think it's hyperbably to say, or hyperbably, hi, <laughs> it's not hyperbolic to say that if Joe Burrow was say as mobile as someone like Jake Fromm, he'd have been sacked 50 plus times this season. He's under pressure that much. And I think a lot of that does have to do with them. They, they do throw it 40 to 45 times a game. So obviously, um, there's going to be more of an opportunity for him to get sacked, um, but there's far too many instances on tape of LSU's offensive line just straight up getting beat. Um, and, you know, they, they have stretches of good play as well, too. But if OU's defense is going to have success in this game, it, it's going to start up front. And uh, if if you want to feel good about OU maybe possibly winning this game, really, really look up front uh, when LSU is on offense and OU is on defense. I will say, talking to Dusty Dvorak earlier this week, he also identified the inside of LSU's offensive line as a bit of a weakness. Uh, he said Neville Gallimore could have a big game. Uh, you, you could tell Grant is seeing that as well. And sure, I mean, I kind of see it too, but here's the thing from my perspective. It hasn't mattered this year because even when players get to Burrow or at least get a hand on him, Burrow's able to get away more often than not. Better defenses have had players jocks left on the field after Joe Burrow made them miss. So in my mind, it's like, why would Oklahoma's front have any more success than Auburn or Georgia and, and even Alabama? Uh, that's why I'm not as sold on LSU's perceived weakness on the interior offensive line. I just I don't really see it as much as as Dusty does uh, has seen it and also as Grant has. I, I just yeah, I, I don't know. I just. Again, other teams that feel like have, have been in better positions to exploit it, and they haven't. So, I mean, why all of a sudden would Oklahoma exploit it? Uh, a couple more notes on Joe Burrow. He will take yards if you give him cushion. So, defensive backs play off. He'll take those yards. Welcome back to Bryce Petty and Baylor from 2014 if Oklahoma wants to play five to eight yards off of the wide receivers. And also, really quick, Georgia's strategy – in that game against LSU in the SEC title game was kind of interesting. The closest uh, Georgia strategy, pardon me, the closest that I saw to what Iowa State and uh, Baylor this year kind of has been doing to slow down that air raid, Georgia rushed three a bunch of the time and made its Mike Backer a spy on Burrow and then dropped seven. And then Kirby Smart would send unique blitzes uh, from that base from time to time or would drop a rusher and then send the mic backer to try to create some confusion on LSU's part. Uh, I mean, 
it did work a decent amount of the time. It's just Georgia's offense couldn't score. I mean, Georgia was one of the three teams that was able to hold LSU under 40 points in 2019. Time to flip it over to the other side. Oklahoma's offense against LSU's defense. And I want to start with this. Linebacker Patrick Queen said rather matter-of-factly on Thursday that Oklahoma's offensive line isn't good. The Sooners' backs aren't good. Uh, he said some nice things about Jalen Hurts, but he did say, Queen did, that if LSU is able to contain Hurts, that the Tigers will be fine. Queen adding that with their game plan, he's confident that LSU will dominate Oklahoma's offense on Saturday. If you go to the West of Evers Facebook page, you can see the full video of that. My boss, Dean Blevins, was reporting on that from Atlanta on Thursday, and I posted that to the West of Evers Facebook page. Uh, Dean has some reaction in the piece from Parnell Motley, Trey Brown, Kennedy Brooks, and C.D. Lamb. Uh, it's actually pretty good, so check that out on the West of Evers Facebook page. By the way, Oklahoma treated this bull prep as, from what I've heard, as a second fall camp and kind of changed up their prep from the past couple of seasons. Here's the thing. I'd be a little more optimistic about this if Oklahoma had more time to prepare, like in the years past. But, I mean, just three weeks between the Big 12 title and the college football playoff. And in some ways, it's kind of more like two weeks because that first week was all about the awards and going to New York for the Heisman. So uh, just not a whole lot of time to be fully engaged and to be able to fully prep, just kind of relative to what we've seen. So... I'm not so sure how much of a factor the you know the second fall camp, if you will, the way they prepped uh, leading up to the game will, will factor in. Uh, but I do think one thing is certain. Oklahoma's players and coaches do look and seem just all kinds of focus for this game. All right, let's talk LSU defense. Grant has thoughts on what the Tigers do well. All right, guys, we are going to break down OU's offense versus LSU's defense here in the Peach Bowl. And the first thing I want to start with is just kind of a general uh, a general breakdown of, of LSU's defense, just because we really haven't been able to get into it too, uh, too deeply at all with, uh, with, with a really short bowl, uh, bowl by this season. So I just want to start with what, what does LSU do well on defense? When you watch them, what stands out to you the most? And so I've watched five full LSU games now. I've basically watched all of their prominent games. Um, and the thing that sticks out to me the most after watching them is that they throw just a ton of rangy, different types of athletes at you. They're a really athletic defense. And here's what I mean by, by that, by rangy and different types of athletes. For instance... They're three starting defensive linemen. They play three down linemen. They are all huge. They're all over or near 300 pounds. Uh, their nose tackle in the middle, Tyler Shelvin, I think is close to 340. And they have two ends who also who, who play at about 300 pounds or maybe even a little more. So they act, they generally do a really good job of holding up in the run game. They, they don't play the attacking style that OU does up front, so they are guys who are just trying to stand their ground and free up, uh, free up lanes for the linebackers to flow in and make plays. Uh, but they're, they're typically pretty good at that. A lot of stalemates on the defensive line because their D linemen are just so so big. They don't present a ton of rushing the passer ability there, but they're large. They do what they're supposed to do. Uh, the linebackers are thick, athletic, and they're sure tacklers. Jacob Phillips, who is a uh, who is an ex Oklahoma commit, is their starting middle linebacker. Uh, the other the other guy in the middle is Patrick Queen. They're rangy. They they're athletic. They can move all around the field, and they're sure tacklers. I know that Jacob Phillips. Uh, I believe Pro Football Focus has him as a 100% tackle grade this year, uh, which and he has not missed a tackle this season. I, I'm, I mean, 
How legit is that? I have no idea, but those are two good players there. Um, Kalevin Shassan, uh, I think, is uh, is probably their, outside of their secondary and their front seven, is probably the biggest name on their defense or the guy that gets the most fanfare. Uh, he was a first-team All-SEC guy, and his, his stats aren't necessarily going to tell the whole story with him. I think he only has four and a half sacks, uh, but he, he reminds me of kind of a taller, longer Eric Stryker. Whereas he's undersized, I think he's only 215 pounds, uh, but he's got a really good first step off the line. Sometimes he kind of runs himself out of pass rushing situations, but he's really quick off the line. It could cert- it wouldn't surprise me at all um, if he gives uh, if he gives R.J. Proctor quite a bit of trouble uh, coming off the left side there. And they're also going to rotate in a guy who I think is pretty similar to Shasan, and that's true freshman Marcel Brooks. He's from the Houston area, I believe. Uh, really similar to Shasan in body type, and he flashed quite a bit in that Alabama game. But they mostly bring him on in in, in, a, in third down, basically pass rushing specialty moments. Um, and you know what, guys? They, they have three studs in the secondary who are all just really fluid athletes, and they all have really long arms. And so when you look at LSU's defense, big dudes up front, rangy linebackers who are sure tacklers, uh, kind of a, a lean and long pass rusher with a good first step, two of them actually, and then of course long and, and athletic defensive backs in the secondary. They have the ceiling to play exceptionally well. They haven't at, at all times this season. They've definitely shown some blind spots and, and instances where teams have had a lot of success moving the ball on them, but their ceiling is really, really high. The, f- the first two and a half quarters against Alabama – they really were very, very good. Uh, they flashed a pass rushing ability that I didn't really see at all in the other games. That Their pass rushing in the other games mostly came in situational spots, usually really obvious passing situations in third and long. Uh, but against Alabama, it was constant the first two and a half quarters, really dominating the line of scrimmage. Did not see that in really any of the other prominent games. And, and really, guys, their corners, Christian Fulton and Derek Stingley, they're really damn good in coverage. Uh, Ceedee Lamb is gonna have his uh, is gonna have his work cut out for him, and th- and really that's gonna be a a, a really fun uh, a battle to watch as this game as this game goes on. This is not to say LSU's defense is 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 invincible. It's clearly not. It definitely is not. Uh, they they have given up some yards this year and some some pretty easy yards as well. Uh, we'll go into that later on though. I think Grant did a nice job of running through LSU's personnel. Um, I do want to hit on the corners a little bit. Stingley and Fulton, they play mostly man on the outsides. Uh, It's something that I saw against Texas, and it's something that I saw against Georgia at the end of the year. It's just what they do. When Oklahoma runs the football, I want Oklahoma to attack the edges a decent amount of time. Make sure CD and whoever else plays outside, Charleston Rambo probably, make sure that they make it look like they're going out for a pass route. It's a pass play. Don't just block immediately because that's a tell, and it allows the corners to come up and help in the run game. And I saw some teams immediately trying to block these guys at the line of scrimmage, and it just didn't work out all that well because both those corners can come up and defeat blocks, and I think they're decent helping in run support. Uh, at the same time, though, it kind of makes me want to see a play where Rambo or CD is blocking right away and the corners bite up and think it's a run play, but they release and it's a pass play and one of those guys gets wide open down the field. That would be a pretty fun wrinkle to take advantage of LSU's aggressiveness on the outside. The Tigers' best defensive performance of the year, I thought, uh, was the first half of Alabama. Uh, only allowed one touchdown in the first 30 minutes of that game. And, uh, you know, it came on a clever play by Tua where he was looking to the sideline for the play. And then he clapped while he was still looking at, at the sideline at the snap. And the corner Stingley 
wasn't ready because he thought that Tua was still getting the play. And so at the snap, Devontae Smith just burned him off the line, and it was over like that, and it was a 60-plus yard touchdown pass. But other than that, LSU's defense was fantastic in the first half. Uh, Bam had some more success after halftime, but also LSU had a 20-point lead going into the third quarter, so they had some cushion. Uh, the Tigers have played their best football at the end of the year. I think that's a fair take to have. At least the stats say that, and the numbers bear that out from what I've seen. However, though, you have to take into account the offenses that this LSU team has faced. Not very good. You got Ole Miss, you got Arkansas, you got Texas A&M, and Georgia. OU's offense, a lot better than all of these teams, and... I think the Sooners may have a bit of an element of surprise factor coming into this game because LSU, they haven't seen an offense like this that can really stress them since that Alabama game back in November. And, I mean, I know Georgia's offense is statistically not bad, but remember, that offense, it's not that great eyeball test. And then in that game against LSU, there's a lot of receivers out, and uh, DeAndre Swift was injured as well in that game, just played a little bit of it, so... Not a full-strength Georgia offense. Grant's got thoughts on how Oklahoma's offense can attack the LSU defense. All right, so we talked about what LSU's defense does well. What about maybe some blind spots that OU can exploit? And so, frankly speaking, I think LSU's biggest weakness on defense is setting the edge in the run game. Where does that sound familiar? Of course, from about the middle of the season for OU. Uh, it's mostly because the 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 aforementioned Clavin Shasan, he's not a huge guy, and he can get washed out if an old lineman can get his hands on him. Now that's not always a given. This is a good player. He's a guy who can get around offensive linemen fairly effectively. But if you get a hand on him, he goes down. He's only 215 pounds. So this is kind of where that outside veer that OU has been running very effectively this year, I think that's where that could inflict some damage on LSU. And also, the the GT counter, bread and butter, I think, is effective in this in this instance as well. Uh, Najee Harris of Alabama, he ran for 150 yards at 7.5 a pop against LSU. And a lot of that was on the edge, and a lot of that was pulling linemen and setting the edge and whatnot. Um, and so I, I don't think... Oklahoma's offensive line is is not at the is I don't think is at the level of Alabama in, in that regard. Uh, but in terms of what LSU has seen this year, it's probably the closest in terms of talent and athleticism. Um, and um, so I I think there is maybe some there. I I really do think that OU can can run the ball effectively in this game. And of course, it does come down to what you know to what LSU's game plan is. Are they going to attack the run aggressively? Because they do, they, they do do that a lot, and I think a lot of that has to do with Dave Aranda knowing that, hey, if my defense does have a pretty big blind spot, it, it is that. Sometimes we can get gashed on the edges if we're not being really aggressive. And so I, they, they do send a lot of aggression uh, on the edges in, 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 in hopes to stop the run game. You saw this a lot against Florida, which led them pretty susceptible to pop passes uh, kind of over the middle of the field. There was a couple instances where Florida is able to burn them on some of those. Um, that's also what led them to get shredded uh, on the ground by Ole Miss's quarterback. He was, he was able to exploit that, uh, that, uh, that aggressiveness for chunk gains on the edge just by, by keeping it. Now, of course, LSU is going to be a lot more prepared for that. They know they put that on film, and they've also played a lot better the last couple of weeks leading into this game as well. Uh, so uh, I, I think that's a big deal. Of course, just trying to get to the edge, that would also... Uh, one thing I don't see a ton of on film with LSU is forcing those corners to tackle. And so 
I want to test that out. I want true freshman Derek Stingley to have to tackle Kennedy Brooks. I want him to have to tackle C.D. Lamb on the edge. I want Christian Fulton, the guy who they really just trust to be man-on-man with with, uh, with their top receiver over and over again. They do trust that. I'd like to see him make a tackle in the open field as well. Now, not everyone in their secondary I want to test. Grant Delpit is a great tackler, probably the best tackling safety in college football. And I'm not really sure about the other guys, but those are guys I maybe want to test a little bit. Uh, because when you see LSU getting beat, it's it's usually you know with stuff like that. Now, in terms of throwing the ball, uh, when teams have had success throwing on LSU, I, I got to be honest with you guys, it's either been tight windows against man-to-man coverage. That was typically the case against Florida and, and Alabama in those games. Kyle Trask, especially for Florida, really did fit some ball into some tight windows to to move the chains on third down a lot in that game. And of course, to a uh, Hit some, hit some man-to-man coverage downfield for explosive plays against them. On all of those, a lot of them were when, were when they had some time to throw. Um, but if it's not against man coverage, the only, only other time I've seen other teams have a lot of success were just throwing over the middle of the field against zone coverage, and that was mostly Sam Ellinger uh, hooking up with Devin Duvernay against, you know, for Texas over and over again in the second half of that game, which I alluded to earlier when we talked about it. I'm not sure that's something that that Jalen Hurts can really replicate. We have seen instances of of Hurts being able to beat man coverage every now and then. Uh, we saw it in the Big 12 title game with that beautiful throw to Nick Basquin. And of course, there's always the chance that CeeDee Lamb is just going to be able to beat it just by just be, by being CeeDee Lamb. Um, but, you know, in, in terms of, of what has burned LSU in the passing game this year... Not necessarily sure that that's where OU is going to be able to exploit them. Although I am pretty aware that if OU wants to win this game, they're they're going to need to exploit them in that area. I'm just not really sure if it's possible. Uh, and then another thing that that's maybe a blind spot for LSU's defense. Uh, if you watch their games, their pass rush just at times just completely disappears. If if, if Shasan is not getting home, um, they really haven't had a ton of success getting to the quarterback without blitzing. And, and really, Shasan doesn't get home a whole lot. He's only got four and a half sacks this year and only six hurries, and that's in 11 games. Um, so Shasan is more of a guy who's going to affect the game from, from like a mental standpoint. He's not going to fill up the stat sheet at all. Um, so that's the one thing. I, I don't think LSU has a really massive advantage in this game in the trenches uh, when their defense is on the field. And really, uh, I, I would accept some arguments of some people that think maybe OU has a small advantage in the trenches uh, when it's LSU's offense versus LSU's defense. So, I'm sorry, Oklahoma's offense against LSU's defense. So that's just something to keep a, a, you know, keep a lookout for, for sure. Don't read too much into Ole Miss's quarterback, John Rice Plumley's rushing performance against LSU. The Tigers were killing Ole Miss at halftime of that game. All that production by the quarterback came in the second half, and it was the week after LSU beat Alabama. I mean, that's a total letdown spot for LSU. The Tigers, I think, were just happy to get out of there with a double-digit win with nobody injured. Uh, Plus, Plumlee, the quarterback for Ole Miss, he's a much more dynamic runner than Jalen Hurts. A lot faster, a lot shiftier. And I just don't think that's a game that you can look at and say, yeah, Ole Miss's quarterback had over 200 yards rushing. Therefore, Jalen Hurts has a great shot to to just dominate LSU in the run game. I just I don't think that's a I think if you're looking at that, it's just there's just two different kind of players and two different kind of offenses. So I, I just wouldn't read too far into that game. As far as attacking this LSU defense, 
I kind of think Oklahoma will be able to run the ball on this team. I do. I mean, I mean, Grant kind of alluded to it, though. However, LSU plays an attacking style of defense against the run. Kind of reminds me of Texas. Uh, the problem for Oklahoma Saturday is that LSU, unlike Texas, is much more talented in the back end. Still, Oklahoma is going to want to run the ball. That's what Oklahoma does. LSU has not seen a rush offense this good all season long. Ole Miss is actually up there statistically, but I think the Rebels just clearly aren't as complete of a team as or as, as an offense, more specifically as Oklahoma. So I am optimistic about Oklahoma running the football against LSU's defense. When it comes to throwing, I said it on the last episode, back shoulder throws. And also, get the ball to C.D. Lamb early in this game. I don't care if he's matched up one-on-one. C.D. can win those battles, even against these really good corners. Just think back to last year against Alabama in the Orange Bowl. CD didn't get his first catch until the Sooners were down 28 to nothing. If OU can get enough protection, this is another just idea. I mean, not sure if this is going to happen, but just a pipe dream potentially. If Oklahoma can get enough protection to run its cover four beaters, uh, I mean, those will work against a predominant man coverage team like LSU. And I mean, just kind of the short version, you know, you run a couple of players on deep over routes. And on the back end, you send another receiver kind of leaking the other way. It's a Lincoln-Riley staple. It's a good cover for beater, but you need really good pass protection. And uh, Oklahoma's offensive line obviously is really good, but it's not the Joe Moore winning offensive line like it was last year. And LSU has some athletes up front. Kennedy Brooks, he's going to need to have some production out of the backfield, I think. So I'm still talking about passing uh, the passing game. Run those corners out of the picture with your outside receivers. Swing it out to Brooks. Try to get one-on-ones against linebackers. And lastly, LSU, I think, is vulnerable in the middle of the field. Jake Fromm, early in that game in the SEC title, he missed some wide-open throws. Uh, Tua was able to exploit them a bit in the second half. Uh, But we do know that Jalen Hurts is just not the type of thrower as both of those players. Hurts was really good in the pocket and in the middle of the field at Baylor that game in the second half when Oklahoma had that crazy comeback. We need to see that kind of pocket presence and that kind of poise against LSU's defense. Okay, that's Oklahoma's offense against LSU's defense. Time for the part of the show where we tell you what we want to see happen, and Grant's going to go first. So I want to do something a little different for the what I want to see happen segment of this. I'm actually going to kind of break down what does theoretically an Oklahoma win look like? in this game what needs to happen for that for that to come to fruition because I I do think there is a blueprint out there for beating LSU and it's been highlighted in four separate games that LSU has played this year at Texas versus Florida and Auburn and at Alabama so Auburn and Texas had the best shot but Florida and Alabama also flirted with elements of the blueprint Auburn had the best shot they had two takeaways They held LSU to field goals in the red zone when they got down there. They got a ton of organic pressure on Joe Burrow. But in the end, Auburn's Auburn's offense just could not capitalize. They were certainly the losers in that game. I think it was something crazy. like Auburn's offense just just completely shut down in the second half of that game when they absolutely had a chance to win. Um, Let's see here. Going to Texas. They were able to get fairly consistent pressure on Burrow. Nowhere near as much as Auburn, but fairly consistent. They turned him over deep in his own territory, 
and they were able to throw the ball downfield against zone coverage when they did have the ball, but they had those two empty possessions inside their own five-yard line, and their secondary could not hold up against LSU's receivers, thus they lost the game. Uh, Florida provided a bit of the blueprint on offense. They were able to consistently move the chains on third down the entire game, uh, which is very reminiscent of the first Baylor game for OU in the second half, actually. Uh, But their defense was shredded the entire game. I think LSU averaged uh, over 10 yards per play. Um, And Florida also had two empty possessions in the red zone in the fourth quarter, which ended up being the difference in the game. They lost by 14. Um, and then and then Alabama, they did a good job of getting consistent pressure on Burrow, uh, but they could not handle their receivers and Clyde Edwards-Elair at all. Um, and really, Alabama was actually pretty lucky not to lose that game by three touchdowns. Um, but there, there were flashes of, of Alabama kind of kind of sort of understanding how to beat LSU. So taking, you know, what can we take away from that? Okay, here is what an Oklahoma win over LSU would would theoretically look like. A fast start is a must. They they cannot. We cannot have a, a, a repeat of last year in the Orange Bowl, getting down twenty eight to nothing. A fast start just must happen. After last season, you would you would certainly be forgiven for for uh, for forgetting the fact that OU is actually led at halftime in two of their three college football playoff games. Um, and so I, I think this is going to be a game too where they're going to have to get a lead early on. I, I just playing catch up against this team is not is not great, especially because it seems like sometimes LSU's pass rush can come alive randomly when they're in obvious passing situations. Uh, what else? The run game is going to is going to need to be consistently moving forward. If they're getting hit in the backfield a lot, it's going to be a long night. So I'm not saying that they need to pick up six or seven yards every single time they, they tote the rock. I'm just saying it, it's it's good as every time they touch the ball that they're getting one or two yards at least to make those RPOs and those pop passes a lot, you know, something that LSU is going to have to honor. Um, because I think Braden Willis and Jeremiah Hall are going to have to be big factors in the passing game to win. And I don't know if they can be big factors in the passing game if OU is not able to get you know, is able to run the ball at least a, a little bit consistently. Um, what else? You know, Jalen Hurts, guys, is going to need to make some throws that we have not seen him consistently hit this year. It's just the reality. Um, he's shown flashes of being able to hit some of those throws. Uh, that back shoulder throw to Nick Basquin in the Big 12 title game, we're, we're going to need to see more of that. It, we're, we just are. Um if you turn on the tape, LSU's defense, when they're getting beat a lot of the time, it is just close man coverage, and they're getting beat by back shoulder throws and, and just dimes. And so Jalen Hurts is, is going to have to put that hat on in this game, and he, he's going to have to make some plays with his arm. Is that possible? I don't know. I'm just saying that if OU's going to have to win, that's going to have to happen. Um, and then, of course, everyone wants to talk about C.D. Lamb, and, and obvious, I, I think I think C.D. Lamb, outside of Joe Burrow, arguably might be the best player on the field in this game. Um, but I think if, if OU is going to win, a receiver other than C.D. Lamb is going to have to step up and have a big game or make a game-changing play, whether or not that's Lee Morris or Nick Basquin or Charleston Rambo. I have a very sneaking suspicion that we may see a kind of a under-the-radar weird coming-out party in this game for Jaden Hazelwood and Theo Weiss. It's just intuition. I have no inside knowledge. I just kind of feel like we may see a little bit more of them in this game uh, than we have all season long. Uh, but but outside of that, you know, and, and that doesn't mean that CD can't have a big game or something like that, but, but I think someone else is going to have to step up and, and make some plays, which we have seen them capable of doing at times this season. 
Moving over to over the defensive side of the ball, um, simply it, it, it's going to be an uphill battle in this one, especially with with Perkins being out now, who is going to help with the pass rush, and then DTY we talked about earlier. I think is the bigger loss actually, but and so that means that I, I think this game falls mostly on four different players for Oklahoma. And these are guys that I think have to have not just a good game, but a great game for OU to win. Those four players are Neville Gallimore, Jalen Redmond, Kenneth Murray, and Parnell Motley. And so here's here's kind of my logic there. You have Gallimore and Redmond on the inside consistently collapsing the pocket, uh, going up against uh, what I think is the weakness of LSU's offense, which is the interior of their offensive line. You'll have Kenneth Murray there, who is able to clean up Joe Burrow and anything else. That's going to squirt out of the backfield as long as Gallimore and Redmond are able to collapse the pocket. Also, you may see Murray uh, has some success on on kind of that uh, on that blitz that they really like, where they where they line Murray up on the outside and they stunt him, they twist him around uh, on the inside. That worked a lot against Texas. It wouldn't surprise me if we see that quite a bit in this game, uh, in hopes of confusing LSU's interior offensive line. And then also, I think Parnell Motley has to have a big game. I think he's gonna be he's gonna be lined up with Jamar Chase a lot, and that guy's just really good. And Parnell Motley is at is at the point now where he's he's just criminally underrated. Um, yeah, I thought he was the I, I thought he was the best corner in the Big Twelve this season overall. I, he's probably been one of the best corners in all of college football this season, and just he's just been he's had a really great season. And wouldn't it be great? For just all the crap that Parnell Motley's gone through in his career, all the ups and downs, if he delivered, and, and right now I think everyone would agree that he's playing his most consistent, best football of his career right now. Wouldn't it just be great if he, if this was just his masterpiece and he was able to shut down one of those guys that he's lined up against, whether it be Chase or it's probably not going to be Jefferson because he's lined up in the sh- in, in the slot a lot. But if he could limit Jamar Chase, just how great would that would, would that be? Um, uh. So that's really what it is. And then obviously LSU is, they're going to have to turn LSU over. They're going to have to win the the turnover battle in this game. I, I don't think that's going to surprise anybody, me thinking that. Um, and then, and then of course, they're, they're going to need to force LSU to kick some field goals when they really don't want to at times in this game. I'm talking like they're going to have to hold LSU to field goals on two or three separate occasions in this game. Uh, Auburn, Auburn had the blueprint there, and a lot of that really was based on just organic pressure with their front, and then just playing tight, aggressive, uh, physical man coverage. OU at times has been able to do that this season, but they haven't been they haven't done it against this group of receivers and this quarterback. So so that is going to be a problem. And then also, I think there's going to have to be a big special teams play. One of the things that I did notice is that LSU is not particularly aggressive on their kick on, on their kick return unit. They do fair catch a lot. And Clyde Edwards Elair is their main kick returner. So if he's not available, I'm kind of curious if does OU try some of those coffin corner kicks that Shane Beamer's uh, Georgia special teams unit really gave OU fits with in the second half of that Rose Bowl. If LSU puts back someone back there who is maybe not as experienced returning kicks and he gets kind of a shorter one and he's thinking to himself, ooh, I'm I'm standing at the five-yard line. I got a chance to return this one. Uh, does OU maybe try to pull a quick one there and, and maybe affect field position like that? Uh, keep an eye out for that. And of course, keep an eye out for Gabe Burkich. Um Honestly, I, I don't want to see Gabe Burkich out there in this game unless he's there, unless he's there to kick a game-winning field goal. Uh, kicking field goals is not going to beat LSU. They're going to have to score score touchdowns. So unless Gabe Burkich is kicking a game-winning field goal, I don't want to see him. And uh, But other than that, 
outside of you know maybe he could make a make a big play or a big kick uh, on uh, on the kickoff unit as well. So really, guys, I mean a lot has to go right. I'm not breaking any news there. Um, OU is going to have to play their best game of the season. Um, you know, having having that been said, I I think this game where we currently are right now, this may surprise some people. I do think this game is more winnable right now than the Orange Bowl was last year at this time as well. I think Alabama last year is is considerably better than this LSU team. Um, I think the offenses are similar are are, are similar to pretty much equal, uh, but Alabama's defense was quite a bit better last season than LSU's is this year, especially just because they had so many difference makers up front with like Quinn and Williams and whatnot. Um, this is a winnable game, guys. It, it really is. Um, that doesn't mean that it's likely that they're going to win, but I I, I do think it, it's a winnable game. A lot of stuff is going to have to go right. I I don't I really don't want to be negative about this game. Um, so yeah, I I do see an opening there for Oklahoma to win this game. A ton is ton is going to have to go right, but you never know. With a little sooner magic and some and some great plays, you just never know what's going to happen. I've seen enough from LSU games this year where they have played in some games this year where if one bounce this way or or a break didn't go their way, they could have lost. And so it's, you know, there's nothing that says it can't happen in this game. I second many of Grant's points. I would like to highlight the idea of potentially trying to pin LSU's offense uh, deeper than usual on kickoffs. That was a super annoying thing that Georgia did to Oklahoma in the second half of that Rose Bowl a couple years ago. If the Sooners can make LSU a little bit more uncomfortable once or twice Saturday by having the Tigers begin drives at like their own 16-yard line instead of the 25, obviously that would be great. I'm going to use this segment to lay out what I think an Oklahoma win Saturday will look like offensively the Sooners hold the ball for at least 35 minutes playing keep away like Oklahoma has been doing the last four games I think is imperative in this one if OU can hold the ball for 40 minutes obviously even better granted Florida had a two to one time of possession advantage and still lost by a couple touchdowns to LSU but that being said I think Oklahoma is a better team than Florida so I'd like Oklahoma's chances if the Sooners do hold the ball for a bunch of time also Touchdowns to close drives, not field goals. That one goes without saying. Meanwhile, the defense needs to hold LSU to to field goals, like Grant said. And Oklahoma's got to get the ball out. They've got to make a couple of plays. Alex Grinch always wants minimum two takeaways. Get some more, man. Get more than two. Just maybe some lucky bounces can go Oklahoma's way. Ball's going to be in the air a lot. Joe Burrow doesn't throw a lot of picks, but there's going to be a lot of chances to make interceptions. I think an Oklahoma win would likely mean that the Sooners front played their best game since the Texas game, keeping Burrow in the pocket, not letting him escape, extend plays, things like that. Bringing him down whenever you touch him, you get a hand on him, you bring him down. At the same time, I think the biggest surprise we would see in an Oklahoma win over LSU would be that the Sooners secondary held up without Delarian Turner yell. However they choose to cover LSU's receivers in the secondary, if Oklahoma wins this game, I think that means that Grinch's group and Roy Manning's group in the back end, both of those groups just answered the call and and was just phenomenal. Guess what? I want to see all of that happen, everything Grant said, everything I said. I want to see all of that happen, and I'd also like to see linebacker Patrick Queen eat a little crow around 7 o'clock on Saturday. 
With that, we've made it to the end, the part you've all been waiting for. What will happen Saturday when Oklahoma and LSU play in the Peach Bowl? Grant, he's up first. All right, guys, so so what's going to happen in the Peach Bowl? Um, I think OE is going to come out, and I think they're going to play well. I, I really do think they are. Um, Lincoln Riley was not happy at all with with their with the first half of the game last uh, last year in, in Miami against Alabama, and there's been kind of talk this week of of OU having some pretty intense practices and whatnot. I think maybe that's why DTY was injured because the the pods or the the pads are popping. They're hitting really hard. Um, at media day on Thursday morning, the OU players were talking about how uh, the bowl practices leading up to this were almost like a second training camp. Um, I could easily see something like this backfiring, but I, I like this. This is this is Lincoln Riley not doing the same thing over again. He doesn't want to replicate the first half from last season, and so he's switching it up. He's changing it up, and I and I like this. Um, so that they've been really physical because they're going to have to be really physical with LSU's offense if they're going to have any sort of uh, any sort of chance of winning this game. It may not work, but they're going to have to take their shot at punching LSU in the mouth in, in this game. So I, I like what what Riley is doing with upping the intensity at, at practice and stuff like that. You know, any anything to to, to switch it up a little bit. Um, is it going to work though? It's going to work in the sense that I think OU is going to come out fired up. I think they're going to play a good first half. I think they're going to play a good game overall. Um, but what I saw from LSU is just is really difficult to stop. I just saw too many instances when I was re-watching their games of teams doing everything right, whether or not it's with uh, a defensive lineman beating his block and getting to Burrow or whether or not it's a, it's a corner or a safety having perfect coverage on uh, on a receiver or whether or not it's a, it's a linebacker being in perfect position to take down Clyde Edwards-Elair. Um, and time and time again, I just see LSU's players making plays, whether or not it's Joe Burrow dropping an absolute dime, or it's Jamar Chase mossing somebody, or it's Thaddeus Moss mossing somebody. Um, they just have too many good players on, on offense, and, and I don't... I think it really does take a defense full of of NFL guys, or or maybe just a really deep defense full of a lot of a lot of bodies of of just really solid players to actually slow these guys down. Um, and then it, it really does take a, a, a an NFL level or pro style passing game uh, to consistently move the ball on these guys. And um, I just I, I think OU is going to come out and play well. I think they're going to have moments in this game where. They just—they absolutely look like they're—they're—they belong on the same field as LSU, and I think there's probably going to be times where Joe Burrow just does things that make you say "Wow," and that you just got to tip your cap to. Um, and I—I I, I think LSU is going to win. However, I—I I, I do think that the kind of the disrespect that OU has been getting in this game is a little over the top. I, I can, you know, if if you really haven't watched OU this season and you're just looking at the final scores of their games, you can be forgiven a little bit for. Uh, um, for thinking maybe that they're they're kind of a pretender and they shouldn't be here, but the amount of stuff that's had to go against OU this year for them to be in some of the positions they've been in has been simply staggering. And I think that they do have a little bit of good fortune coming their coming their way at some point in time, just because I I mean a lot of the stuff that went against them this year just is was really a statistical anomaly. And OU th- this is a really good a good really good OU team. Um, I. I I think Alabama is probably the best team with with a healthy Tua, the best team that LSU has played this year. 
but I think this is going to be the second best team that OU has played this year up to this point. And I've, you know, I've seen three worse teams than OU, Auburn, Texas, and Florida give LSU pretty, pretty darn good games. And I, I don't, why not OU in, in the, in this scenario? So, um, I think OU is going to come out fired up. I think they're going to play well. I, I do think they are going to end up falling short. I think this game is going to be a little lower scoring than a lot of people expect. I think LSU is going to win this game. I will say 33-27. to 27. I think OU is going to cover the spread. And, and I think it's going to be a little lower scoring than, than people think. Um, but, you know, you never know. I, I think OU is going to make this a competitive game. And you never know. In a close competitive game, Maybe the breaks will start to go their way. It hasn't happened this season, but man, wouldn't it be awesome if there was a little bit of Sooner magic and uh, um, and and they win this game? Life sometimes, you know, ha- has a weird way of of sneaking up on you uh, like this. And maybe maybe it's a perfect storm of the disrespect for OU. Nobody thinks they have a chance. Uh, the big line and all the suspensions and whatnot. You know, maybe maybe there's there's a little bit more sooner magic, and, and that's something that we'll all see on Saturday, and I hope so. We'll see. Okay, my turn. Alex Grinch was brought in to fix Oklahoma's defense. He's made incredible strides in less than one full year. Oklahoma has a top twenty-five defense. LSU's defense is at thirty-two. Can you believe after the way things have gone for the Sooners the past two to three years that Oklahoma is about to play in a playoff game with a statistically higher ranked defense than an SEC opponent? That's crazy. Grinch was not only brought in to improve and fix Oklahoma's defense, he was brought here because he's had plenty of experience coaching a complementary style of defense to go along with a high-powered explosive offense. After all, that's what Grinch's job was at Washington State. And he was very good there for three years. Grinch's scheme, it's been pretty solid against Big 12-type offenses with air raid principal teams, if you will. Grinch's defense, remember, was terrible against K-State back in October, a team that is basically anti-air raid. But guess what? LSU looks like an old-school air raid team, doesn't it? Not a lot of motion, not a lot of movement. Just line it up, spread you out at times make you defend every single blade of grass on the field, beat you through the air while keeping you honest with the run game. While OU's defense hasn't seen an offense anywhere near this good all season long, the Sooners will not be intimidated by LSU because they've seen an explosive offense in practice for the past three years or more. And in 2019, Oklahoma on defense believes they have what it takes to actually slow an offense like this down. Now, I'm probably making a lot of you guys feel pretty optimistic right now, but not so fast. It's been a while since the Sooners have faced a good offense. Remember Iowa State on November the 9th? Yeah, since Brock Purdy and the Cyclones almost beat Oklahoma that night, just look at the quarterbacks Oklahoma has played. Drew Brown, second and third stringers from Baylor with a smattering of Charlie Brewer. Max Duggan at TCU, who's a better runner than a thrower, and he had that long touchdown run against the Sooners. Oklahoma hasn't seen a quarterback anywhere near Joe Burrow's level since Purdy, and Burrow's obviously a lot better than Brock Purdy at this point. Purdy had a field day against Oklahoma after halftime in that game with his arm and also when he needed to with his legs. 
The point, don't get fooled into thinking Oklahoma's defense has played high-level football the past four games against quarterbacks that are anywhere near the same level as Joe Burrow. That's just, I think, important to keep in mind going into Saturday. That being said, Oklahoma has played good defense recently. I'm not disputing that at all. I'm happy the Sooners have had some success leading into a playoff game. That doesn't happen much at all. Uh, I'm just not so sure if the reason Oklahoma's had a lot of success recently is because they just haven't seen any good quarterbacks or really any good offenses or if the Sooners are actually just playing really, really well. Uh, probably a little bit of both, but I've said it once or twice or three times in this podcast. I'll say it again. Joe Burrow just absolutely terrifies me. However, you know what should terrify LSU fans? Not having Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. I don't think he's going to play. And LSU hasn't had to play against an upper-level team this season without that guy. Will LSU just plug in its other running backs and run the offense the same way? I think yes. And there's no doubt they're going to have some wrinkles. I mean, you get three weeks to prepare. You're going to have to throw some wrinkles in there to keep the defense honest, to, to throw something that Oklahoma has not seen on tape yet. Uh, I mean, just LSU already puts uh, Jefferson, the wideout, in the backfield every once in a while. So they already do do some interesting things uh, with not just Edward Hilaire in the backfield. But, you know, what if the absence of Edward Hilaire, what if it hurts LSU's offensive line or more specifically the protection of Joe Burrow? I think it's possible. And you know what? It's enough of an unknown for me to get a little bit more optimistic about Oklahoma's front and its ability to get after Burrow in this game. On the back end, will the Sooners hold up? I just... I just don't see them playing good enough pass defense in this game. I just don't see it. You know, as much as I want to take the leap of faith without Delarian Turner Yell in there, I can't. <laughs> I really wanted to take this this lead up to me just picking Oklahoma to win the game. You know, I I wanted to say, what have we what have we been saying for the last couple of years? If Oklahoma had a top 50 defense going into the playoff with this kind of offense, Oklahoma can win a title and can win. And this year, Oklahoma is going into the playoff with a top 50, not only a top 50 defense, a top 25 defense. And statistically, Oklahoma's offense is still one of the best in college football. But just the absence of Delarian Turner Yell and Ronnie Perkins. And then on the offensive side, Ramondre Stevenson, it's just it's too many missing pieces for me to, to think that's a fair assessment of, hey, top 25 defense, really good offense, maybe this is the year. That equals Oklahoma winning the playoff. I just, the loss of the players, even with Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, even if they don't have him, I just, I don't think Oklahoma can overcome it. Uh I just I don't think Oklahoma's depleted defense is good enough to hold LSU under 40 points. Uh, you know, before the suspensions, before the injury to DTY, I could have seen it happening. I really could have, but I just can't see it now. And you throw in the fact that I think that three-week layoff, I think it actually favors the offense over the defense. And LSU is a great offense, and it's not going to be as rusty as maybe it would be if it was getting five weeks off. Uh, the Tigers, I think they're going to score their points, and I think LSU is going to barely cover the spread. 
The Tigers beat the Sooners on Saturday 45-30. to 30. One final note. I have a fun weekend with a lot of my good friends in Los Angeles planned coming up January 9th through January 12th. Now, some of you might know off the top of your head, what's happening on January the 13th? Well, the national championship game in New Orleans. If OU wins Saturday, I'm going to have to cancel my trip to L.A. When I booked the trip, OU still had a shot at the playoff, but not a great shot. And certainly not a great shot to win a semifinal game and make the college football playoff national championship. But now, Oklahoma's made it this far. And I got to say, I got an uneasy feeling just a moment ago when I typed out LSU 45, OU 30 in my rundown here. It was almost like I, I wasn't all that confident about that score prediction. Almost like deep down, I know then I'm going to have to cancel my trip to L.A. That's our show, gang. Enjoy the game on Saturday. We'll be back afterwards to hopefully talk all about a shocking Sooners upset. Until then, for Grant, I am Lee. This is West of Everest.